Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I am here with my good friend, Joe Hilliard. And in our third chair, we have the lovely uh-huh. Pam Bruyard. Uh-huh. Joining us once again. Thank you, Pam. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, we, we, always, to it. we bring you for the heady stuff, the, the, the heavy stuff uh, often. and The shrinky stuff. The shrinky stuff, yeah. Oh, I've got questions about the second film. A lot of them. Yeah. For Pam. First film, too, I think, in, in some ways. Before we get to talking about, you know, heavy film stuff, let's get some beer in our glasses. Pam, you brought us something special here. This Ooh. is from, uh, you know, the, the great white north of this country. Yeah, it's a Minnesota beer from St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, my niece gave it to me for Christmas, and so it was hand-imported in my luggage. Look at that. Look at <laughs> from that. From St. Paul. And it's a little brewery down the street from her house. And uh, she's a real foodie. She recently left a job in the medical field to start her own cottage food industry. And she's working part-time in a liquor store to help wow. support herself. And so this was one of the products of that. And it has jalapeno in it, which you don't typically associate <laughs> with the Minnesota temperament. <laughs> no, or beer in general. Like pepper beers are kind of an anomaly. Yeah. I mean, they, there's, they, they are there. They're, they're around. Um, there, there's that ghost face killer yeah. that, that has the, uh, the pepper incorporated in and, it. And before we even open yeah. this, my take on pepper beers is less is more. You know, I well, like it subtle. You want it, I mean, where I've liked it a lot, like they have a little pepper element in some, uh, in, you know, stouts that go for that kind of like Mexican hot chocolate where they'll bring in like a little spicy element to it. That's really nice when you can get that just in the right balance. Now, this is a different uh, – this is a cream ale. Oh. So they've incorporated jalapeno into a cream ale, and they're calling it West Side Popper. I, I'm thinking, you know, a reference to the jalapeno popper. Sure. Is this, and, one, is this one wrapped in bacon and like a piece of dough? <laughs> well, in the west side of St. Paul is the Hispanic part of St. Paul. Oh, okay. Also. Okay. Now, the funny thing is, and Pam pointed this out, the can art's kind of great. You you have this uh, skeleton with a mohawk uh, with, with football shoulder pads with spikes and then holding these two smoking uh, cut open jalapenos with a whole belt of jalapenos ready to go. Okay. Those, those poppers ready to just shoot at. So... So the can art says not subtle, but we'll see. No, we'll find out. They, they even give us on the can. I get to like a brewery like Wabasha that, uh, or Basha, sorry, that puts all the ingredients right on the can. It says they're using roe malt, carapils malt, aromatic malt and corn. The hops here are Cascade, kind of like a good old school, like American IPA hop mm-hmm. um, that, that we'd use a lot. And then a West Coast ale for the yeast. And of course, the smoked jalapeno edition. I'm excited to try this. I'm going to open it up. Get some in my can. Or get oh, some it's, of the it's can. smoking. <laughs> get some in my glass. Am I getting the smoke note is what I'm wondering because it says smoked jalapenos. I can't wait to – Ah, I definitely get jalapeno on it. Oh, Ooh. my. I'm almost a little worried. <laughs> but it does – you know, I'll give them credit. It smells a lot like a jalapeno popper. Like, Yeah. That is interesting on the nose. I'm not, I don't know that I'm excited about the flavor, but I am certainly impressed that they have so much jalapeno on the nose. It's not our first time that Pam has muled us beers. And if you go back to episode 249, that's the one where we had four Wisconsin beers Ooh. with uh, two films shot in the Wisconsin area. So go check that one out. Always fun. Well, I look forward to talking about this here in a little while after we talk about our first film. David, you and I are, of course, in Bammy's catch-up mode. We're getting there. Poor Things last week. Mm-hmm. That was a big one. 
to check off for us? Uh, sitting at number two of my most anticipated was Past Lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just recently nominated for Best Picture in the Academy Awards race. So mm-hmm. uh, 2023 American romantic drama film written and directed by Celine Song in her feature directorial debut. It stars Greta Lee, who, if you know her, you probably know her like I do from The Morning Show. Uh, I think that's the only thing I had seen uh, that had her in it before that I knew of. Yeah. Teo Yu and John Magaro. The film opens with uh, those three people, a Korean woman uh-huh. uh, who has immigrated into yeah. Canada and now lives in New York City, a Korean man, and a white man sitting next to the lady and two people talking about them. Yeah. Like, I wonder what their story is. Interesting device. Interesting way of opening the film, right? Who's married to who? Is someone on a date? Is someone a co-worker? And it turns out that the uh, white dude and Greta Lee's character are married, but that 24 years prior, when she was 12 years old and he was 12 years old, she knew Tao Yu and the character, and they were 12 years old, so it's not boyfriend-girlfriend, but her mother especially is like, do you like this boy? Do you want to go on a date? Which right. was a chaperone date with parents. And then soon after, we learn that her family is moving to Canada. Right. And this strikes the little boy. We can tell she's a little more cavalier about it. Fast forward 12 years. They connect on Facebook. Right. Which took me back to connecting with people on Facebook that I hadn't seen in a long, long time when Facebook first started. Sure. And I wouldn't say they develop a long-distance romance. He's still in Korea. She's in New York City. But rather, I think it's when she realizes that they have no future because he doesn't intend or understand why he'd ever come visit her. Yeah. And he's got a year and a half of Chinese language commitment where they can't get together and she's doing her thing. She breaks it off suddenly. And then now fast forward 12 years where we see that she has become married Mm -hmm. and he reaches out one more time to say, Hey, I'm coming to visit you. And so the bulk of the film in the present day is over a two day trip, his two day trip to New York where they just have to settle this, this, these, these emotions that have been bouncing around for 24 years and that's basically past lives. How does it end? I'm spoiler podcast. I'm sure that we'll get there. But yeah. it was highly anticipated. I knew nothing about it outside of watching the trailer. Pam, what did you think on first view here? Well, I thought it was really a lovely movie. Mm. And there's so much that happens in terms of the acting of just their faces. Mm. And probably my favorite scene in the whole movie is when they actually meet for the first time in 24 years in Central Park. And there's this beautiful sort of intro where you see this beautiful garden. And then you see his face, and it's only his face looking at her. Yeah. Then the camera swings over to her face, and it's only her face. And then you sort of miss him because you want to know what he's thinking. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of switches back to him, and then it kind of switches back to her. And then finally... They're together. And I I thought that was a really beautiful part of the film. It's very quiet. Mm -hmm. The music is fantastic. You know, the music's almost retro. They have Leonard Cohen and a bunch of different people. That's right. The early, early scene where they're talking about choosing their American or their Canadianized names as, as they're getting ready to emigrate. And they're listening. I think it's Suzanne is the... Which I thought they were maybe she was going to choose the name Suzanne, <laughs> but but uh, beautiful and um, I I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. I mean I think I have a feeling we're all going to be fans of this one. It's hard. It's a small film. It's a modest film. As I was watching it, I think the the thing that struck me is 
I feel like this is one that's maybe too subtle for some people. Very subtle. Um, it, that's a good word for it. In terms of like tone and approach, it kind of not exactly thematic subject matter. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the farewell, the um, Lulu Wang's film with uh, Aquafina and yeah, the yeah. lead from she a goes few years over, back, back which is also semi autobiographical. Important life moments, but really not over melodramatizing them is that you, you know what i'm saying like these are profound moments in these people's lives and i think we see that i think they're played more subtly than we tend to see these kind of things get played but i think it's something that most people can identify with is this sense of nostalgia of you know missed opportunities or what would have happened and there's a great line towards the end where they say your future is your past your future is behind you in other words your future is the sum of all the choices that you have made right. over time. And if you remember when they're still back in Korea and her mother says, is there a boy you like that mm -hmm. you would like to go out with? And then she talks about him. But one of the scenes that I think is important at the beginning for the ending of the film is we first see them and they're coming home from school and she's crying because he has beaten her for the first time ever right. at some academic thing. Yeah, he got the better score. On and, that, yeah. and she's crying and he stands there and he's very patient with her and he's like, but you beat me all the time. <laughs> <And> <laughs> if this is the first time I've ever bet, beat you and you're going to cry and you beat me all the time, how do you think I feel? I feel, right. right. And But there's a scene later when uh, they're spending the day together, when they first meet up and they're by the water and they're walking and she's asking him about his girlfriend. And he says, well, we've broken up. And she's like, well, why? And he, he says, I'm not good enough for her. I don't have an important enough job. I'm not good enough. But I think who he's really talking to is her hmm. because there's this theme with her about wanting to get the Nobel Prize and then wanting to get the Pulitzer Prize mm -hmm. and then wanting to get the Tony. And I think, you know, he's using this other narrative to sort of express what's happened between them in the 24 years that it's been since they haven't met. You know, it's it's interesting watching, like, obviously, you have them meeting as children where they have no control over what they're doing, right? Their, their families determine what's going on. Sure, Her that, that's where they go to school. <laughs> if we're moving, you're moving. Right. Yeah. So, th so there's no choice there. Now, when they, when they meet up again online 12 years later, and there's this discussion about like, well, where we're at in our lives right now, could we reconnect? And, and as we were saying before, this kind of, well, you know, I'm committed to this, you know, Chinese language program and I'm really, I'm about to take off and do this. I want to do it. She's also committed to this writing institute, right? Right. I, I'm taking a retreat that right. she's going to take part in out in Montauk. Yeah. Where she, like, where she eventually meets her husband. I like the connection there of, uh, you know, like, well, what's Montauk? It's like, uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. You know, yeah. it's, it, amidst all the Korean dialogue, there's just like the perfect uh, mm -hmm. rendition of the. So there's kind of this choice like, well, no, we're already on our path. We're already kind of are doing our things. And like you're saying, Pam, with her path that she's on by that point, it is very much about like where she wants to get in terms of career, in terms of achievement. Um, and she has this idea and that's, I think, what drove her parents to, to leave Korea. And, there, and so there's this kind of, you know, thing that got instilled in her that's kind of carrying her still, which is she fully in control of that or is she still just kind of on autopilot because her parents set her on that path? And is that really the choice that she wants to be making? And then with the third, you know, time that they get together, then 12 years later, and now she's chosen to get married and she's kind of moved on that path even further and all that. But there's a sense that, okay, could we give these things up? Or, or 
you know, what would we be giving up? And and they're not even kind of willing to entertain it. It's a really like heartbreaking film. I think on he is definitely levels. willing to entertain it at that point. I think you're right. Obviously, he's he's there visiting her. No, so I th- I think he's less in question. But she she's not ready to kind of give it up. But then there's that part of her that is, and 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 it's the conflict in that, and that she's made this decision now. Well, the first time it was made for her. The second time. She was part of making it, but they were both kind of equal parties. And now this third time is kind of where she's actually making it herself and saying, this is no, this isn't the path that I'm going to take. But it's heartbreaking. I mean, I think they do a really what they do a really nice job of is showing that there is like a true connection between the people. There is a connection, but it seems like it is not to be. The cards have dealt to where we... But it could Well, except if you consider what I think is the best phrase in the whole movie, which Mm. is in Yun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This idea that there are... 8,000 connections right. between people and this idea that we sort of live maybe parallel possible lives all the time without knowing it. And and when they're talking about this idea, because they have in young, then he, when he's talking to the husband, because there's a triangle in this film yes, also. Yes, yes, yes. Um, he says, we have in young. But when he's talking to her about it, he says, you're the one who leaves. Yeah. So even though he's come halfway across the world to see her, he feels like she's the one who leaves. She's the one who left in the first place. She's the one who left Bro- when they were off. doing the phone thing. Yeah. You know, she's clearly not going to get together with him when they meet up because the conversations with the husband are really important. You know, you make my life so much bigger and I'm wondering if I do the same thing for you. Yeah. There's this place inside of you I can't go. Yeah. And so it really challenges the intimacy of their relationship. Yeah. And I think it helps us see that the thing that separates the two different relationships for her is with the marriage, you have all the aspects of daily life that sort of accrue and become sort of the fascia yeah. of the relationship. And she doesn't have any of those things with him. All she has no. is a memory from right. 24 years ago. And and right. it doesn't mean it's not powerful or important because those early memories typically usually are, but it's empty. Yeah, it's empty. But then it's also it's tapping into this other part of her. I mean, I think, you know, the thing that kept striking me is this like sense of how much he's connected to home for her and how much, you know, like as an immigrant, as somebody who's, again, it was a choice made for her, but then at this point she's embraced it herself and she's like, who's made this choice to be now part of a different culture, um, more of a global citizen, but somebody who's rooted somewhere else and, and now has, you know, a marriage that's very much based there and all that. She's always going to feel tied to Korea. And I think he's going to be a big part of that for her, like this, this really interesting relationship. And it, and I think it's fascinating. And I'm sure this is ripped from her life. I mean, this seems like a pretty autobiographical film. By director, writer, Celine Song. Right. Indeed. According to the research I've done, this is somewhat autobiographical. Right. I mean, she was a playwright. She's married to another playwright. They, who's, become a screenwriter too. <laughs> did challengers that'll be an interesting one to see a love triangle film coming up later this year from luca guadagnino <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to that it was uh, supposed to come out la- late last year but that's got right. all pushed back right. because of sag after um so it's interesting you know like people working through some things with with their uh films here i i think in some pretty obvious ways but so closely tied to home for her she yearns for it but at the same time 
has to sort of accept that she's moved on to this other life path. The word subtle works really well with this film. There's no fights. There's no screaming. There's no dramatic. There's no sex. I've got to have you. No, there's no. You, you know. Wait until the next film, Pam. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> none, I mean, none of that happens. No. It, it feels like. It's a very grown-up yeah. communication film. I mean, these characters are doing their best to connect with each other and express what they're feeling. It feels like real talk. Yeah. There's three or four little landmark scenes that I'd like to discuss. The first is when she knows that this, when the both of the kids, 12-year-old kids know that this is their last time. The movie is gorgeously cinematic. Mm-hmm. You can tell that Celine's song but, is swinging for the fences with cinematography. and Yeah, but I, I agree with you. I think it's beautifully shot, but it's not like ostentatiously no. shot. It's not like she found the most picturesque vista. Except for... Uh, the, the park, you think, was... Well, I was going to say the scene where the two kids are splitting up because one of them is going up okay, the blue that, and yellow stairs and one that, of them is going down the gravel path. It's a beautifully composed shot, but it's like a downtrodden neighborhood. It's okay. You know, it's kind of a rough... Whereas, I, I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. You hear what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> I'll say it every time. <laughs> I like that scene. Yeah. Very much. It's it. There is a divide in the center of the film image. Where he's going left and she's going right. Yes. And we're seeing them split up. The next scene is on the Facebook part. I, I Just like Dumb Money, I love snapshot looks at old older technology, especially one that I used. Mm-hmm. And so seeing the older version of Facebook, the older laptops, that early Skype, mm-hmm. you know, which, of course, the pandemic fast forwarded when everyone yeah. needed Skype and Zoom ASAP. Th- th- those services got a lot better. But yeah. I just like that. But question about this scene is. In her shoes, would you have completely cut off the relationship as she does? Or would you have communicated, look, this can be this and it probably can't be this because of these practical reasons. She Mm -hmm. chooses to just say, we can't talk anymore. Yeah. But she also makes a choice because he said, will you come to Korea? Yeah. And she says, no, you know, I can't do that because I'm, you know, doing this. got this Montauk thing thing that I'm doing. Yeah. and I mean, I think part of the connection, like it is with people that we're friends with when we're really, really young is, you know, there's something about people who have known you for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have friends that I don't see very often from Wisconsin and, you know, it's like the years melt away when I see them. Yeah. And especially when you're an adolescent because, you know, you're friends, but there's sort of that whisper of sexual awakening happening yeah. and... You know, there's a lot of interesting emotional stuff happening at that time that I think, you know, kind of marks people in some way in yeah. terms of their development and so well, on and, and I think so forth. you're coming into your own like personality identity wise. I know exactly what you're saying. I think like there's such a formative moment that happens around adolescence. It's hard not to feel anchored to it in some kind of profound way that that is also me- means anchored to the people who surrounded you at that time. And so those those relationships, I agree, have this kind of charge to them that almost no other relationships in your life get to have, you know, in this film that it's tied up also with this moment of great change in her life in terms of where she was located and in putting herself on this different kind of, uh, you know, map. It's a powerful kind of confluence of things that, that she has that, that sort of tie this guy to home, to, to this time in her life and, and to this set of possibilities that might have been realized otherwise. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea, you know, again, as you said, that I think gets brought into the film through conversation, but 
not in like a, I didn't feel like a heavy handed way. I mean, it is heavy handed, but I've totally welcomed it. The whole past lives concept and the idea that like, well, we've had this connection before or we'll have it again. 8,000 lifetimes. Yeah. When you, when you touch a stranger in passing, mm-hmm. 8,000 lifetimes between you. Yeah. The next landmark scene is when they finally meet up on Skype. And uh-huh. I thought it was done so well and so realistically where it's just 10, 20, 30 seconds of wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. There you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen you in 12 years. Right. And that happens again when they see each other in person. Yeah. 12 years later. And he doesn't know how to kind of maybe, I don't want to cross a boundary, but she hugs him. Yeah. Because, oh, look, you know. Yeah. She, and then when she tells her husband, when I'm around him, I feel less Korean than I've ever felt, but more Korean. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just. You know, having a, a white, non-Korean-speaking husband yeah. is going to take you farther away from those sure. roots. And now here is this other guy that can... But simultaneously probably make her feel as Korean as she ever does when she is the Korean in the room. And mm-hmm. then when she's with... Yeah, it's... Fa- it, yeah. But the biggest one, the the conversation that Pam already referenced is when the husband... So so she, he comes for a two-day visit, two-night visit. Yeah. And they go out for drinks or whatever. And she quickly realizes he's not here for any other reason except to... I don't even know if the word is pursue me. Yeah. Connect. Connect yeah. with me. Connect. And the husband, it's so realistic. Let's say his name because, I mean, he, he was a fantastic actor as well. John Magaro. Oh, yeah. Uh, who, who says after acting like a man a little bit, you know, uh, getting frustrated. Was he good looking? Yeah, well, exactly. Was yeah. he good looking? Is it, you know, what are his prospects? Is he wealthy? And then he goes, um, well, listen, I'm not the kind of guy that says you can't go see this guy, clearly. And then later he's like, I've given this a lot of thought. And this story is one that I don't win in. Yeah. The childhood love that's yeah. come across the world and y'all are going to go on a day together tomorrow. It could be that y'all, you know. Yeah. And she doesn't really affirm him. No. And, and I, I don't think it was as obvious that she was going to choose the husband, to I be agree. honest with I you. I agree. I don't know if that's the I practical think it was an choice honest, or the I think that's choice. the male read on the female. Fair enough. Um, I mean, but, well, but, but she doesn't affirm him. She, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. But part of that conversation is also him talking about, because she's talking about being Korean and how masculinely Korean he is yes, and yep. so on and so forth. And that's when he says, there's this whole place inside of you I can't go, that I can't connect with because of that, which I think is really insightful on his part. And of course, being a psychologist, it reminded me of some social psychology research, which shows that uh, married couples who have stronger marriages don't tell each other everything Uh and forgive like some of the little stuff like... Oh, how do I look? You look great, honey, you know, kind of type thing. And, and that there's a little bit of deception involved in maintaining sort of the day-to-day life of a mm-hmm. long-term relationship. And I see this guy struggling with that in a way that's really interesting because he's insightful and aware of his own emotions because he's a writer. But you can tell he's just really uncomfortable and it really comes to a head when they're in the bar and the Two of them are talking Korean, and he's just sitting there yeah. looking like misery. It's a it's <laughs> a know? great scene. I mean, and and again, we see it at the yeah, opening every once from a different over perspective. But yeah, it's great, and you get some great just like the way that they frame it at times, where he's that third wheel so clearly. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, quiet film. I understand the Oscar nomination completely. Yeah, uh, not not bombastic like an Oppenheimer or even a Barbie. This is just. 
humans interacting yeah. and shot very, very well. well. And, and one final moment that I just, you know, when, when we get to the end and they're, he's actually leaving and, and they're waiting there for his Uber or whatever, you know, like, and you get that little moment where they stay there, which gets extended just a little longer than it feels like you want it to. Or, I mean, it, it gets awkward. It gets uncomfortable. You can feel this tension between them and mm. they don't speak a word. That to me was like the punctuation on the film, and then her and then the husband's waiting for her, and right, and totally and she cries. breaks down. She breaks yeah. down. Yeah. It, it was just which has to confuse and irritate and scare him, but at the same time comfort him. You're but here. It, you know, like you made the choice, and yeah. that, like this is the but that whole piece of the ending there, I think, just you know, sold me on the whole thing. Not that I was doubting it at all, but just it left me feeling. Wow, what a profound little, like, small movie, but a profound statement. But this movie is all about the details. Yeah. And and when we talk about the second movie, in the interview I saw the director, he said, this is definitely a COVID movie because Mm. it's about connection. And I think the same could be said for this one. But one of the little details that I absolutely loved is in her first apartment in New York. As you're walking out the door, it says, keys, phone, wallet. Yeah. <laughs> Mine would be keys, phone, glasses, wallet. Yeah. <laughs> Except apparently I forgot the keys the other day. <laughs> but uh, but it, it's such a, a nice little life detail that yeah. I think most people could relate to. And it, it really humanizes her and the situation and makes it feel more intimate, I think. Yeah. Lots of small touches here that just make a really beautiful film. Celine Song. What a de- I mean, you don't do debut films like this with yeah. this kind of confidence. Very this kind impressive. Of yeah, it's amazing. I recommend it to everybody. It's, yeah. It's good. You'll quickly learn if it's your cup of tea or not. Yeah. Five, ten minutes. Well, and in. even if you don't like it, you're not going to hate it. It's no. not It's not a mean film. It's not a nasty film. This is a lovely film. Maybe a little slow for some folks who can't get into the subtlety of the drama. But, you know, it's a beautiful film. It's also a great film to watch with home streaming because the intimacy of it fits this yeah. sort of smaller screen, I think, really, really well. I agree with that. So I've written down for After Hours, who is your high soul? <laughs> who is your first little kiss or love yeah. or whatever it is? Huh. Maybe we'll get into that. All right. We got into this jalapeno beer. We sure did. The the nose, I think this, all of us were a little like, uh-oh, where are we headed? I am so impressed by uh, Wabasha uh, brewing here. Pepper scares me in a beer. I, we said that. We said it, it can be done well. It doesn't taste too peppery. But it's, but it's there. It's definitely there. It's got a little tingle. As I said on the nose, I was definitely smelly, and I think it's probably because they smoked them, so there's a little bit of kind of a, a smoked note along with the, the jalapeno. But all of it together, the nose isn't off-putting. It's just like a little enticing. Once I started sipping it, it actually had some jalapeno popper kind of character, I think because of the the creaminess of the cream ale. I don't know. This this works. Well, my first note was it's definitely a cream ale. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you could taste that, uh, the subtlety, the sweetness, it was all there. Yeah. To add jalapeno to this style is probably a very, very good idea if you're going to do it because you're looking for that balance that we talked about at the very, very beginning. I did not find this overly peppery, too hot, taking me right. out of the entire experience because I was needing a glass of water on the side right. or anything like that. This is very lovely. I don't know... If I'm getting a four pack of this to enjoy at a party with other people, but it's one of those, you know, gimmick beer. Are there people out there that are like, I want all my beers with pepper? (laughs) And and maybe there are. I'm not one of them. 
Probably not in Minnesota either. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't think there are people who say I want all my beer. Although there probably are a few, but the, but I think more likely there are a few people who said, "Oh, it'd be fun to have." We're doing a barbecue, or we're having some barbecue. Let's have a four pack of these, and we can all like try this with our brisket or whatever we're having alongside it. Like, I think this would pair well with some barbecue because it has a little of that smoky note. Mm. The spice would play off it. So to me. And this was, I said, uh, 6.1%. So it's not like crazy, Mm -hmm. you know, going to – I could have a 16-ouncer of this while I'm having uh, a plate of brisket and Mm -hmm. and some beans and bread. And I think that would work fine. I don't think I'd want to just throw back one after the other of this without something else accompanying it. But it's really tasty for what it is. Pam, do you feel like your niece – did you write getting you this can? She did. Okay. Thank you, Lynette. Thank you, Lynette. Well – We have some fun in store for the second half. Another new film, as we've already indicated, one that has a love triangle in it uh, at its core as well. It's nominated for just about anything and everything at the Independent Spirit Awards. Yes, it's gotten a lot of buzz on the indie realm, so uh, we'll, we'll see if we feel that it's worthy of praise when we get back. can't wait for this conversation i'm looking forward to it this is this is one uh it, never seen an ira Sachs film but we'll, we'll get we'll get to yeah, that in okay. a moment. uh we need some beer in our glass joe what, what do you have there okay. under the table you're you're hiding from me i am sometimes uh this second beer especially last week when we started with that 12.5 it's like the idea of having to drink a full whole nother beer can be a little intimidating with this 6.2 from Wabashaw. <laughs> They're going to hate it, us. No, I, just want, I, I just want to get it right. Say it again. I think Wabasha. Wabasha. We think Wabasha. Uh, it could be Wabasha, though. I'm not feeling that way after the 6.2%, but just in case, I'm uh, offering all of us a Lil Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Lil Buddy? Yeah, this is from uh, Hopewell. I, th- I feel like you should have paired this with Child's Play or something. And yeah. you're going to love it, David, because guess what, it's, what does it say right there? Oh. A little lager by Hopewell. It's an eight ounce kind of mini can. It's a gimmicky little thing. It's just uh, two thirds of a 12 ounce. Oh, I love I love it. Uh, I got this at our local grocery, the big grocery chain in town. It's like the little uh, Miller High Life. Yeah, those little little bottles. Are those 10 ounces? Eight ounces? I don't know. This is eight, right? That was about half of one of those was all my mother would drink. That's so cute. And we four point two. I love it, Joe. And it's our first visit to Hopewell out of Chicago, Illinois. Nice. It just says a little lager, so I'm imagining this is going to be a very simple lager, David. Which yeah. made made me immediately think of you. Plus, in many ways, you're my little buddy, <laughs> the Gilligan to my never mind. Your, your little uh, simple lager drinking buddy. I love it. Hey, I'll I'll take it. It's pouring like a lager. It's nice and clear, golden. Nice kind of, you know, subtly malty head. I'm not getting really any hop character on the nose. I'm looking forward to this one. Nice, I clean, nice snappy. Nice palate cleanser after yeah, the jalapeno beer. I think so. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. I'll post a photo of the can, which will make you understand the reaction when I pulled it out. It's a little stubby, little fun That's little thing. Funny. Yeah, I'm going to have to get some of these. All right. Well, th- this this is uh, an exciting time of the year because we have all this great stuff that we're trying to catch up on. The second film, also a 2023 release. In this case, we're talking about Passages. This is the 2023 film from director Ira Sachs. 
It was co-written by Sachs along with Mauricio Zacharias and Arlette Langman. It stars Franz Rogowski, Ben Wishaw, and Adele X. Charpolis. I, I feel like I'm butchering her name, but a uh, French actress and and one who uh, I knew from Blue is the Warmest Color. I right. Think, yes. Uh, that, yes. That was the primary other film that yes. I've seen her in. Maybe a couple other smaller parts here or there. But um, it, as the film begins, we have uh, the character played by Rogowski, Tomas, which, who is a German filmmaker. He's based in Paris. And he is just completing his his uh, latest film. There's kind of a rap party at that party. They are um, he and his husband are a little bit distant from one another. The husband leaves, and uh, Tomas ends up hanging out with and dancing with um, the the lovely uh, Aga Agath, uh, who is played by uh, Adele Exarpolis. <laughs> They end up hitting it off, having uh, sex, not coitus, sex. having sex that evening. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, Tomas uh, tells that to his husband, Martin, the next day. S- thus starts like sort of a tumultuous period in their relationship where they're growing kind of more more and more David, distant from each other. David, he doesn't just tell him that. He, he, he kind tells of him gaslight- how excited. gaslights him. He says, but I'm falling in love. Aren't you excited for me? <laughs> I just want to talk about this with somebody. (laughs) So thus starts this love triangle where we have the married uh, men who are struggling to kind of decide if they're still connected, how much they're still connected, all while Tomas is having this relationship with Agath. She ends up getting pregnant. The parents get involved. All of the emotions and relationships and entanglements that go along with, with that. Now, I'll say with you. As we come into that relationship, they're kind of midstream, right? We don't know what brought Tomas and uh, and Martin together, and we don't understand what. It, do you get the sense that they had a fairly open relationship um, when he brought? I did when he came home. I did the way he because did. you know the next morning after Martin is kind of upset, right? Right, and he's getting ready to leave and go to work, and he said, he says to Tomas, he said, "This is what it's always like after you finish a film," right. Which sort of implied it, yeah. To me, this is a pattern. This is something you're you you find somebody to fixate on and and get excited about, and then you come back. And actually, one of my oldest friends in Wisconsin is is a gay man, and he talks very openly about how many, at least of his married gay friends, have certain rules about openness. Yeah, in their marriage, like they'll have sort of designated play dates and things like that. So I don't think that that would be that unusual right. for that. There's an interesting parallel in the director's life because he, of course, is also married to a man but has twins by a female director. I know, right? I mean, I was saying earlier that I think both films this week are actually we, – we picked a great pairing here in some ways because we have two – loosely autobiographical films Two about filmmakers, right? Which are love triangles. Yeah. And, which, yeah. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it after I watched both of them. I, I stayed up watching passages late one night with a friend of mine, and we both had nightmares afterwards. <laughs> and the next morning got up and talked about how much we didn't like it, but talked about it for two hours, you yeah. know? And both of these sets of relationships and both of these films, their intimacy is defined by a negative space, by an absence mm. of the sorts of things that we typically connect with intimacy. And by negative space, this is my new term because I'm taking a watercolor painting class. (laughs) And one of the things that we had to learn was how to define something through a negative space. So 
a negative space is a blank space and it's defined by everything around it. And I think in both of these sets of relationships, the negative space is sort of the lack of kind of the activities of daily life. I mean, you never really see Martin and Tomas in daily life activities. There's one scene where Martin is sort of cooking and Tomas is like, you know, not interested. And there's a similar scene between Well, and where he finally Tomas, confronts him, he's cooking at, the, at that, yeah, you know, yeah. And Agath, and she's cooking and she's like, I want to have a party. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not interested. And, yeah. you know, he's sort of sleazily <laughs> oh, charismatic. Easily. You know? I mean, none of these characters are, uh, are great role models necessarily, but Tomas is by far the worst of them. <laughs> right? Right? We can all agree. Tomas well, to is me, the worst. And this is the, one of the questions I had for you, Pam. Tomas is a tornado of destruction kind yeah. of in this movie. He doesn't know what he wants. I guess we're to assume that he's a successful filmmaker because he's got some kind of hold or sway well he's gotten into venice at the end he's supposed to be going to venice right yeah yeah and he's of course the first scene is them shooting a movie so we're seeing him at work the casualty within which he announces that he had sex with a woman last Mm -hmm. night to his partner that they own a home together i mean we're never told that they've been together for this long but it's set up to for us to believe that they're a long-term couple yeah the casualty within which he continues to see her even though we the audience can see that the husband is very upset by it yeah and then the casualty within which he goes to have sex with his husband in the room next to the girl (laughs) yeah you know he just does what he wants to do and he doesn't care what the the effects of it are completely self-absorbed and then at the end when the husband finally says no we are done 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 and he realizes it he runs to the girl To say, oh, I'm in love with you. I've changed. Yeah. Wait do you see me change. But we know he hasn't changed. Yeah. He's just now trying to pick up the pieces, so to right. speak. He's he's just a sociopath, right? Uh, eh. Overused I just term? Think, Narcissist? I think those are overused terms. You know, okay. if I had a dollar for every time someone said sociopath, narcissist, or toxic on Facebook, <laughs> I would die a wealthy woman. But is he sociopathic? Maybe. But sociopathy means more than just... Being unempathic. I mean, uh-huh. any personality disorder, which is a, you know, a distortion of the, the normal traits of personality is unempathic, which is the defining characteristic of a personality disorder. Sociopathy is about engaging in deliberate acts of destruction and cruelty. And, yeah. and is he not nice? Absolutely. Is he self-absorbed? Completely. But I think he's a dopamine junkie. You know, dopamine is the heroine of the brain. And every time you have sex or eat or do any of those things, you get a little jolt of dopamine and, and people love it. And like any drug, you have to keep on upping the ante. And I see him as sort of psychologically upping the ante all the time. And there's a scene where he's with Agathe. I know that the sex in this was supposed to be wild, but I didn't see it. It just looked like sex to me. I, I think it's just the <clears> fact <throat> that it was so frank when it was the male on male. Yeah, I that, think that I, that's I, what I, people are reacting I, I, to. Because it was, it was given an NC-17. They did seek a rating. They were going to try to get this like a wider theatrical release. And apparently it came back NC-17. And because of that one scene? The, well, they didn't say specifically. It has to be. But, because but you the, look at it and that is the only. The male I mean, on female sex scenes are very tame. Yeah, that's true. They, he's never even is nude. topless. Right, he's, he's no yeah. You you he's, don't see any body parts, but there's a scene where Tomas is masturbating Agath to orgasm. That's true. And yeah. he and he says to her, "You know, I think I love you." Right. Yeah. And she said, "You're just saying that because it's convenient." 
Yeah. And I think that that sums up his personality but he, entirely. But he's insistent that, no, it's I feel it. And but his insistence means nothing. No, I understand what you're saying, but I think it, it just backs up what Pam is saying, that this, like, I say is, it when I feel he's addicted to, he wants the feeling. He right. is, he wants the hit of dopamine that he gets in saying he's in love and feeling and the connection just after he's gotten her off. Right. And, that. and he's unable to take her perspective. And that's the nature of personality disorders, is that they think that all the stuff that's happening in their head is reality and it's just right. the stuff in their head yeah. you know and other people might see that differently but yeah he's just a junkie and <laughs> and he does have this sort of smarmy oh yeah uh, well he's also charisma a, he's also a well german but german by way of france director <laughs> right and i was really struck by his clothing because i kept on saying oh yeah. those trousers really bother me but then and the, and the, that's all designer clothing the mid oh, yeah. tank tops oh I mean, yeah you know and in the interview with the director he talks very explicitly about that clothing choice and everything and I think the scene that really defines him relative to Martin is, you know, he comes over late one night and Martin's there with his new boyfriend right. and he lays down on the couch and he's clearly very aroused. And he's like, well, I want to stay. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't want you to, but I'm just going to hang out. And he's like, but I don't want you to. And then finally the boyfriend comes out and then he gets up and leaves. But the scene where they're having sex and the girlfriend's in the room next door basically crying right. is so painful. Oh, yeah. Because this is that moment where they're supposed to be forming this kind of unique, innovative family unit where they're going to like, because she's pregnant and she's going to be carrying the child and they're all going to. And instead, he just shows like total, you know, callousness and disdain for her and, and or disrespect for her. I'm glad she takes the lesson. What I was scared about watching the film is that is she going to be a junkie for him by the end of it? And is she going to end up going back to him even when it was it's so seduced I was, by his fame or something? Exactly. Right. So I was very happy with the ending of this film where it left these characters. I think I came away feeling like a got had moved through this moment in her life and was now going to go into other relationships with a lot more self confidence in terms of what she needs out of a relationship versus I think he's doomed to repeat. Tomas is going to be riding off on his mad bicycle. But, you know, her character is also not very well formed. You know, it's almost she, a sketch. It's almost a pastiche in okay, some way. Okay. And I think that's part of it. And the, really the most defining thing about her is, is she's incredibly beautiful and she's wearing amazing clothing that really makes her <laughs> Oh, look she's beautiful. Well, you could, say, you could put any clothing so, on I thought her. I've even seen with her folks. Great scene. Deep, deepens that, her, yeah. deepens her scene, character very much. The mother, much. Yeah. yes, she was a little too aggressive, mm -hmm. but and then being too but, aggressive with Tomas. <laughs> but asking questions <laughs> that make sense, like... Oh, no, I mean... Could you move? Are you staying here in Paris? You, right. There's a child on the way. There, I want to hear you. Some I want to hear commitment from you. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, at the very first time you meet oh, each right. other, it might be a little... But he's there an hour late or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it was. That Comes in said. with his uh, tank top belly shirt. Know, maybe designer not, tank top. Maybe not the best uh, <laughs> foot forward for right. meeting the parents. But then again, I expect nothing less from this character by the time that happens. <laughs> you know, the other part with that one particular sex scene with Martin on top, which actually looks like heterosexual sex to me almost, mm -hmm. is that it's revenge sex. It's angry sex. It's ho very hostile sex. Mm. And it's a role reversal because you get the sense almost throughout the entire film up to that point that Martin's the submissive one, yeah. that he's more of the wife partner yeah. in the relationship. And all of a sudden there's a reversal of that. And sure. I think that's part of what makes it a little shocking. 
that I, I would agree with that. I did, I did the, the power dynamic of their actual coupling does definitely go against how you would think of their relationship otherwise. And strong performances all around, oh, yeah. right? I mean, I think that both, um, I, Rogowski, I don't know that well, but he's been in a ton of French film. I mean, I, I feel yeah. like I need to go try to seek some of his stuff out. I think he's really excellent. Wishaw. We we just loved last year in uh, Women Talking, mm-hmm. and, and he's been in many things in English he's language, and he's Q, right? Absolutely. So there we have some great talent, and and I was really excited to see uh, Adele Extrapolis, uh here again because again after a decade ago when I saw her in that, which we, she was you know barely twenty, I guess when when that film was coming out. Um, to see in this. I'm glad she's still doing top quality. I thought top quality work. The director actually wrote the movie with the actor who played Tomas in mind. And oh, he didn't okay. tell him that. Okay. And then he sent him the script. Mm-hmm. And then when he agreed to take the part, he said, well, you know, it's kind of like a boy crush thing. Well, you know, I kind of wrote this with you in mind. <laughs> there you go. He, he Did we like it? Cast. Are we recommending it? I, I like this movie very much. It's a tough film, I think, for the reasons that, you know, I think Pam alluded to. These aren't people you necessarily want to be spending a lot of time with in some ways. There's some lovely moments. There's some fun moments. I like the dance scene the, <laughs> when they're at the club. But would, it's know, hard mostly. I found it really hard to watch it. It, it was a hard oh. movie to watch, but it generated a lot of discussion for me. But, you know, when they're in that club, yeah. you know, first of all, there's that whole bit with Tomas directing and, you know, giving these people these sort of impossible directions. Yes. Like, you're not walking down the stairs. Yeah. You're walking to, you know, the thing. But when they're in the club and Martin's like, well, I'm going to go home. That's when everything changes because it's like, well, you're not available. I'm going to go yeah. see what else is happening. And right. she kind of seduces him. Oh. It's not just uh, him looking for trouble. But mm-hmm. I think in the interview that I saw with the director, he said this is definitely a COVID film. And I think there is a vacuousness in terms of the relationship between the characters that, that there's no radical intimacy between them. They're, they're really unintimate relationships that are having sex yeah. and that are entangled, but not, per- there's, there's not, no softness. I, I hear what you're saying. Well, I say that again. Um, <laughs> the performance of intimacy rather you know. than the actual realization yes, of intimacy. Yes, I, I, I hear what you're saying. He goes through the motions and he wants that feeling. He wants to hit a dopamine. He want he wants to feel that connection. But then as soon as the reality of the connection and what that actually means practically and, and what that would mean for him and his behavior and his actions going he forward, the next he just, no, I'm going to go for the next one that's the, the convenient. And, you know, the the one real intimate moment is when Martin's lover is with him and Martin says, you know, if you got to go, you know, yeah. I, you know, I'm done. And he's like, you know, I feel sorry for you. Mm-hmm. And, this is not going to end well. You know, this yeah. is not going to end well. And it's the most intimate part of the the whole movie. And it's yeah. coming from almost a stranger. Yeah. yeah, But a stranger who actually cares on some yeah. level. Yeah. A stranger <laughs> who cares enough to wear his red bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really did. So I, I like I, this movie and I recommend it, but understand what you're getting into because it may not be material for everybody. Yeah. I don't think this is a film that people should be scared and stay away from Mm -hmm. i just think it's one you go into and you know like if you're on a date (laughs) and you decide to rent this one or whatever know that this isn't a happy relationship film this isn't this isn't the love triangle that works out this is all the things that go wrong and the sex is not erotic (laughs) 
No, it's not going to inspire you to necessarily want to get into the business that they're doing. Even though it's charged and passionate at times, it's not erotic. I would agree with I that. I couldn't keep my eyes off the screen when they were having sex. The two dudes, <laughs> I thought it was so fascinating oh, no, it, because it's uh, it's a typo. It's a mode of well, sex I don't have. And to see something like that on the big screen but, does not bother me. I welcome it. Well, I, it didn't bother me either. I just didn't find it very sensuous. No, no, no. no, no. And it isn't that, like Pam said. It's not so- like Last Tango in Paris, you know? No. But I think even when he's, uh, when it's Tomas and uh, Agat, I think, and he and he's going after her, it's not very erotic. No, no. It's very animalistic. Stumbly, bumbly. And ve- yeah. yeah. And it's very like, in the moment, you can understand how they are maybe passionately sure. connected in that moment, but it doesn't look artful. You know what it reminded me of when the first time they got together? I don't know if you all are familiar with this book that was this massive hit in the 70s, I know, when you were infants. <laughs> by Erica. Did they have books in the 70s? Yes, they did. Oh, yeah. That's all we had were books. And it's uh, Erica Jung, and it's called Fear of Flying. Fear and the fun. whole theme of the book is about something called the zipless fuck, which uh-huh. is meeting somebody, connecting, having instantaneous sex right. that's fantastic. And that's what that reminded me of when they got together. Right. It was like they were going for the, can I say fuck on here? Yeah. yeah the please. zipless fuck. Yeah. And maybe not quite getting there. <laughs> no. Well, and, there were some zippers that got unzipped. Yeah. And, and maybe showing the, the real complications of the zipless fuck because you got to be able to leave it and they're not able to leave it because he wants the hit again. And that, the, you know, yeah. 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 The only other note that I have written down here is an exploration of polyamory because it seems at the beginning that Tomas is suggesting, hey, the rules that we have where I can go fuck other people, I had sex with a woman last night, you know, and the the partner doesn't take it that way. You know, he sees this as the beginning of the end that's been coming for a while. Or the repeat of the pattern. Probably. Yeah. Especially if he's a successful guy, you know, there's going to be fans and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I enjoyed this, I think. Maybe more than you guys. I don't know. My only qualification was just saying, like, I think this film is really well made and I think everybody should check it out who, who has any inclination to. I just say it's hard for me to say I enjoyed the film because I, I felt I so upset by so much of what was going on in the film. But it's supposed it's op- to it's do that. The way it's trying behave. to right, do that. Right. And it was hard to like the characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's very few moments where I, mean, I was, call me old fashioned. Yeah. I like to like people. <laughs> there are moments, but I also I appreciate the insight it provides me on like and i think it's in that sense i think it's a very honest film for ira Sachs to mm-hmm. make yeah, in that no it's doubt. showing i think probably one of the worst lights that he could possibly shine on a character like himself to kind of do that and say like okay warts and all here's what being an artist is like mm-hmm. you know like you're okay. obsessed with your own creation you're obsessed with your own control over situations i agree pam that opening sequence where he's directing and he's giving these inane, Minutia. yeah, oh yeah. yeah, and just like acting like it should be so obvious and abundantly clear to what the yeah. It there's was, there's a great um, interview with mostly Tomas, but the other characters about the sex in in the New York Times, and the guy who plays Tomas says. Well, if you're interested in a movie that's just about sex and people take off your underwear, this is not the movie for you. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. I think that's exactly true. Yeah. No, nobody should be watching this thinking that they're going to 
you know, be setting the mood for the evening, uh, so to speak. Well, David, I've, I've reanalyzed this. I think I'm the Gilligan to your skipper. So you uh. call me Lil Buddy, <laughs> the little logger from Hopewell. <laughs> Lil Buddy is a delightful little logger, a snack, a proverbial plus one. This easygoing, lighthearted logger sidles right up with other boozy pals, but surely holds its own if you're just looking for a little less, which is sometimes more. 4.2 ABV, in case we didn't mention it up top. I'm going to throw to you, David, because you're our logger expert here. What did you think? I was very happy with this. I just, I love the whole concept. I think it's so cute. Love the little eight ounce can. The logger is tasty. I mean, it's it's a nice, very light logger. I mean, we're 4.2% alcohol. So it's, it's a really easy thing to throw back. I mean, I kind of like the idea of a cooler full of these. I like that you could just grab these. I mean, mm-hmm. they're fist size. Mm-hmm. They're, they're How many beers kinda... have you had? I got to do the calculation. Uh, cause... <laughs> they're about the same size as a buzz ball. Have you ever seen the buzz yes. balls? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, so, but I think, you know, it's not going to knock your socks off, especially if you're not a lager fan, but it's going to do the trick. I think this is a really nice little craft lager with a, with a nice little marketing gimmick. I'm I'm there for it. Yeah, I thought it was very tasty. It was great. <laughs> well, we're all very well refreshed now, and we've talked through a couple real, uh, you know, I think emotionally charged films, and uh, and and certainly had a good time doing it. But as loyal listeners to the podcast know, that is not the end, right? We we have lots more to do because the best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation does not end with the episode. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram. Even over there on our own website, beerandmoviepodcast.com, you can find some nice curated lists of our episodes as well as the link to our Tee Public store where you can buy various forms of merch with our logo on it. And you can join our chat on Discord if you'd like. Just ask for an invite. We call ourselves Beer and a Movie. The conversation continues. We've also mentioned that we're going to extend this conversation ourselves in our Patreon subscriber-only After Hours bonus episode. Please sign up at patreon.com slash podcast. And we know you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, but before you leave, won't you please rate us and leave a review? We hope you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can do what it do and put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another love triangle-centric episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. What if this is a past life as well, and we are already something else to each other in our next life? Who do you think we are then? (laughs) 